0: Welcome to the official Barclays Premier League podcast, brought to you by Barclays.
1: Hello and season's greetings to you all, wherever you are in the world. The title race takes another twist as Manchester City hits six past the leaders.
2: We must continue to have more points than Arsenal
1: because they are still three points on top of us. Magnificent Liverpool settle for five at Spurs. Probably the most complete performance since I've been here and just continues the evolution of what we're trying to do. And in Frank Lampard's 19th season as a pro, we ask him if he can claim title number four
2: with the Blues. 19 does sound a lot when you stay. (laughs) if we can find our performance and up it a little bit, then we can make the right push.
1: Barclays Premier League legend Frank Lampard joins us exclusively on this week's show to speak about an incredible career at Chelsea, Jose Mourinho's return to the bridge and the responsibilities of being a professional footballer. We discuss two managerial changes in the top flight, Alan Shearer surprises an unsuspecting Toon fan, plus we hear from Manuel Pellegrini, Tom Cleverley and Gareth Barry. (laughs) Hello and welcome to the official Barclays Premier League podcast. I'm Marcus Buckland and joining me to look back on another dramatic weekend of action is the former West Ham and Charlton manager, Alan Kirbishley. Hello to you, Alan. Hello. Got to mention, first of all, the weekend's managerial casualties. Steve Clark dismissed by West Brom and then Andre Villas-Boas relieved of his duties by Spurs first thing Monday morning. Were you surprised with both of those announcements?
0: I was. I was. I, I, I didn't see um, the Steve Clark one coming at all. I know he's been having a bad run and lots of talk about their form over the calendar year. But, uh, you know, that weren't exactly in the bottom three, which is the danger time. And I think that uh, in recent weeks, you know, they could have beat Villa. They could have won at Chelsea. Uh, and them two results could have changed the whole thing. So that was a bit of a stunner for me. And Villas-Boas, I just felt the manner of the defeat coming off the back of the Man City game. Every time the camera panned on Daniel Levy during the Liverpool game, uh, you could see things going through his mind. And uh, so I wasn't too surprised, but I am surprised because, you know, they're only a few points off the Champions League position, which is where they want to be. So I thought he'd have been given a bit more time.
1: Bearing in mind where both those sides are, whoever is given the
0: respective jobs potentially walks into a, a pretty encouraging situation, don't they? Absolutely. I think if you walk into the Spurs job at the moment, you're looking upwards, you've got a squad uh, that's been assembled. I think you've got competition in all all places and, uh, you know, you're looking to try and get in the top four, trying to get in the Champions League. And I think at West Brom, the expectation level is realistic and, you know, really it's to stay in the Barclays Premier League if you can get anywhere near mid-table, then you'll see that as success. And I think the chairman would see that as success.
1: We'll come out further reflections on those departures. We'll also hear from Arsene Wenger, Gus Poet and Chris Hewton. But let's start at the Etihad, where fans were treated to a nine-goal spectacular, with Manchester City dismantling Arsenal 6-3 to move within three points of the league leaders. What a game that was, Alan.
0: Well, as soon as the teams were announced, the formations for me, uh, where Pellegrini has not wavered all season, he's playing four-four-two. He's going with two strikers, Aguero and Negredo, and you know Arsenal with this magnificent midfield, four-five-one. It was going to be always going to be an open game, but I don't think any of us expected our open. In all fairness to Arsenal, they come out on the receiving end. But they created so many chances as well. It was just a wonderful game. Well, it certainly was a great advert for the
1: Barclays Premier League. Let's hear from both managers, Arsenal's Arsene Wenger. First of all, City's Manuel Pellegrini.
0: I don't think this is the best performance because Arsenal
1: uh, scored three goals and I think that is too much. The amount of chances that they had.
2: But it was a very complete game in attacking. I think it's not easy to score six goals against the best defence of, of, the, of the Premier League. And if I don't remember, but we had at least five clear more chances to score goals. So, in that sense, very happy, and we must continue improving in another sense.
3: Honestly, we could have scored at least six as well, and uh, it was a uh a very open game. Our strength until now was our defensive discipline and that went. We had the best defence in the league and we conceded many goals today.
1: Well, City have now scored 35 league goals at home this season and in 58 consecutive games at the Etihad. Aguero with the first, his 13th of the season, already surpasses his total for last season. The one setback from an attacking perspective, uh, Alan, the fact that he picked up a calf injury, he's going to be sidelined for a month or so. How much are they going to miss him?
0: Well, that's the interesting thing for me is, is is what does Pellegrini do? Because I think away from home, you know, they've been really poor if they think they're gonna win the title with the amount of games they've lost away from home already and points dropped. So does he succumb and goes four three three or four five one and just leave, leaves Negredo up there on his own? Or does he bring Jekko in and just keep going four four two and, and trying to outscore the opposition? So I'm waiting to see his next team selection because mm. without Aguero he's got to do something and I think when he does go four four two, I think it's because he's got two great centre forwards and he, he wants them both to be playing. Now one's out, would his tactics change because his away form has got to improve and he's got to improve quickly?
1: Well, the good thing for him is he's got plenty of options, as, as you suggested. Arsenal also picked up an injury of their own. Laurent Koscielny's uh, going to be out for a little while with a nasty cut to his knee, and of course Wenger, perhaps you know, with a little less in the way of options off the bench right now. Well, I,
0: I, I think if you look at the strength of Arsenal's squad, it's a lot better than perhaps last season. I think last season they had the first team and some reserve players. Uh, no disrespect to uh, Arshavin, Giroud, Danielson Javinio. I think that when they come in, they wasn't going to stay in the side and uh, make it stronger. So I think now he has got a squad. I think he's got Jenkinson, he's got Vermarlin, he's got Gibbs to come back in, he's got Walcott who's just come back, Podolsky to come back, Oxlade-Chamberlain to come back. So I think he has got a strong squad and a lot stronger than it was last year. So I think he will just bring Vimalen in and uh, they will just carry on. I don't, I, I don't see much change there. If he can just do a bit of business Wenger in, in this window, if he can, surely it will be to ease the problem up front if Giroud goes out, I think they're a little bit lightweight.
1: Well, City moved within three points of Arsenal at the top. Looking at their Christmas fixtures, um, Alan, away to Fulham, then at home to Liverpool, home to Crystal Palace and away to Swansea. A lot of people are uh, installing them again now as title favourites. How do you see it?
0: Rightly so, because I think out of all the clubs, they've got the fear factor. Teams playing them are very concerned about this attacking prowess they've got and the amount of chances and goals they're, they're scoring. I think once we get through this Christmas period I think then the table will assume Man City, Arsenal, Chelsea, whatever position that's going to be and you know the Liverpools and and perhaps the Man Uniteds and Everton's and Tottenham's chasing that fourth spot
1: Well Arsenal just one point from their last two games, their next match against Chelsea, huge game of course, then West Ham and Newcastle away Cardiff at the start of 2014 so this is obviously a a critical little passage as far as the Gunners are concerned. And
0: I think the chasing pack have been looking at this, you know I think Mourinho's been mentioning it and obviously Pellegrini knew what was coming up that when Arsenal are playing these tough games there's an opportunity for the other sides to pick up points as well and and close the gap and it's great for the Barclays Premier League, I think Arsenal up until recently were the most consistent side and deserve to be top but you know a couple of defeats it's all so tight you know we could have a little bit a cluster of, of teams at the top and that's great
1: Yeah should be very exciting What's well, the other side of uh, North London next where a Luis Suarez inspired Liverpool recorded their biggest ever win at White Hart Lane thrashing 10 man Spurs by 5 goals to nil and it turned out to be one heavy defeat too many for the Spurs chairman Daniel Levy who as we've mentioned relieved manager Andre Villas-Boas obviously services on Monday. Here's AVB after the defeat, before he was dismissed less than 24 hours later.
2: And everybody's down, as you can understand. It's the second uh, expressive squalling that we suffer in the season, and we admit that. In the Premier League, things are not going in any shape or form the way we wanted. All of us have our expectations for this season. We still have them. We are not uh, far off, but uh, the distance is increasing for those Champions League spots. The expressive result makes it even more difficult for us to bounce back.
1: Well, just 15 goals scored all season. One win in six home matches. And obviously when you lose five nil at home to Liverpool, 6-0 at Manchester City, you're going to be in trouble. And, and listening to Spurs fans, Adam, was the, was the biggest problem the fact that nobody quite knew what Spurs team was going to turn out each week? and what tactics they were looking to employ.
0: The big problem for, for everybody at White Hart Lane was that Gareth Bale's left the club, you know, you've got to try and replace him. Last season, they were frightening on the counter-attack Spurs with Bale, Lennon and Defoe and scored some fantastic goals. Obviously, Bale's gone. For me, they've not replaced that pace and all the players that have come in to the side have not got that blistering pace. You know, Chadley, Lamella, Ericsson, Kapui and... Paulinho, you know, they don't go past players. And a lot of the passing has been sideways and backwards and a bit pedestrian. And they've been easy to play against. I think teams have, certainly at White Hart Lane, have got behind the ball, shown them inside, showed them into loads of traffic, and they've been getting nowhere. The lack of pace is clear when you look at Saldado. He's a sort of centre-forward that thrives on, you know, movement in the box and players playing him in. And they've not been able to do that. And it's when you're struggling at home, that is when the chairman acts. I mean, you can take defeats on the road, but when you're not doing it at home, it becomes pressurised. Well, former
1: player Tim Sherwood has been put in temporary charge. Over Christmas, they go to Southampton, they've got home matches against West Brom and Stoke, and then they go to Manchester United. What's your hunch as to what's going to happen long-term with regard to the managerial position?
0: Well, I think it's going to be very difficult for them. If they've got a name in place, or or, or a big name, if that's what you want to call it, I think it'd be very difficult to do it in this, this period. But Daniel Levy, you know, he's over the years, you know, he has changed that managerial spot quite a few times and he's always ended up going for the young foreign coach. That's the way he wants his football club run. But this one hasn't worked out for whatever reason. So it'd be interesting to see when he does make his decision where he goes again, mm-hmm. because in recent times the most successful peer that Tottenham have had is when they've had a, a stand up British manager in Harry, Harry Redknapp, yeah. and uh, it'd be interesting to see what his next move is.
1: Mm. Uh, as for Liverpool, another superb attacking performance, and their manager, Brendan Rodgers, was delighted with, in particular, young defender John Flanagan, who scored his first-ever goal for the club. A wonderful example for any player to stick at it. His attitude every single day of his life is incredible. Since he's come into the team... At full-back, he hasn't put a foot wrong, he gets forward, he's cute and he's defending and, and as you see when he arrives in the box, he's got a goal. A wonderful finish and uh, delighted delight it for him. Well, it's really good to see young local players uh, given a chance. Um, you, you know a little bit about Flanagan, don't you?
0: No, it goes back to when they played Everton and I think um, the free-all game recently and he uh, was pushed into first-team action. And after the game, when he got back into the dressing room, Steven Gerrard stood up and gave him a round of applause and all the players stood up and clapped him because they realised how how well he'd done and that a young scouser, if you like, had been thrust into the big time. And he, he done magnificently well. And, and all, all the players gave him a standing ovation, so I think that was lovely.
1: Yeah, it is. Um, hashtag UR football. if you've got any other classic examples of, of youngsters who've made their way through to the first team and created a real impression. Luis Suarez, obviously, has created a, a remarkable impression this season, scoring for fun. His performances at the moment are, are out of this world,
0: aren't they, Alan? He scores all different types of goals. I think if I was a centre-half, you know, I'd be terrified to play against him at the moment because he, he goes short, he goes long, he goes sideways. And when he picks the ball up, he's prepared to take players on, he's prepared to dribble with it, he's prepared to lay it off. No-one quite knows what he's going to do, and he just seems to be getting better and better.
1: In the absence of Gerrard, there was a, a lot of interest in who else was going to step up to the plate and both Henderson and, and Sterling as well looked the
0: part, well, didn't they? Jordan Henderson went there for a lot of money, didn't he? Kenny Dalglish signing. has always said that his best position is in centre midfield, going to join the front man, because he's got the legs and he's got the power and he's got the engine. And that's what we saw at White Hart Lane. And he's been playing wide right, he's been playing as a holding midfield player. So if he can now uh, stay in that position, but just add some goals to his game. When Brendan Rodgers took over, he looked at some of Kenny's signings and he didn't fancy this one, didn't fancy that one, Carroll, Downing, etc. But I think Jordan Henderson has worked he's way into Brendan Rodgers' side and has been prepared basically to do whatever Brendan wanted to get in that team. Mm. And now he's in there, he's got an opportunity to establish himself in the position he wants to play in, which is in the centre of midfield.
1: It's the best part of a quarter of a century since Liverpool last won the league. They're second, they're two points off the top over Christmas, home game against Cardiff, then successive away games at Manchester City and Chelsea before another home game against Hull. So where are we in terms of Liverpool actually going on to win the title here?
0: Well, I think you've got to take a seriously, but uh, it's imperative they get in that top four. I think they've been out for so long and it's been damaging to to the club because of the the financial side of it and also their attractability in the transfer market and I think that if they've got any intentions of of keeping Suarez I think they've got to qualify for the Champions League and then I think they've got to, to bring in some marquee signings. Perhaps not the title, but I think they've got to be looking at the top four.
1: Okay, well, coming up, we will be speaking exclusively to Chelsea and England legend Frank Lampard on his stunning career at the bridge.
0: You're listening to the official Barclays Premier League podcast with Marcus Buckland.
1: And it's to West London next where Chelsea sneak past the plucky Crystal Palace side 2-1 to stay level on points with Liverpool and moved within two points of leaders Arsenal. Chelsea not playing at their best but still winning. It's, uh, it's quite a nice habit to have, isn't it?
0: Well it is and I think that's down to their professionalism because they have been unconvincing this season and I just think that it's down to Mourinho, John Terry, Frank Lampard the senior players are dragging them through it at the moment and it's quite unusual teams are going to Stamford Bridge and that fear factor is not there at the moment but they are still in challenging position. Well I'm delighted to say we are
1: joined now by Chelsea's all-time leading goalscorer and one of the Barclays Premier League's greatest ever players Frank Lampard. Thanks for joining us Frank.
2: No problem, thank you.
1: Now, your 19th season as a professional footballer, you have achieved so much over the years. Are you still enjoying it as much as ever?
2: Uh, yeah, I am, actually. I mean, think 19 does sound a lot when you say it there, but <laughs> it, um, I do, uh, you do get an appreciation for it, I think, as your career goes on. Um, and you know it won't last forever, obviously, but I'm enjoying the, the you know, the role that Chelsea play, and we've seen younger players come through, the teams evolving over the last year or two, and I'm, I'm, I'm loving playing a part in it.
1: I know it's rude to mention age. You're 35, but Ryan Giggs is still going strong at 40-plus. Can you see yourself going on as long as that?
2: Uh, I'm not sure. I mean, all, all credit to Ryan, because as you get older, you know, you do have to manage yourself differently. You, know, you see it all differently and maybe adapt your game in certain ways. So I'm not sure about 40. At the minute, he is a bit of a one-off. I mean, I'd, I'd love to set my sights to maybe get somewhere towards that. But I do think once you get to sort of my age, um, and even a bit younger, you kind of take it year on year and you see how you feel every year. And if you feel, and if I feel like I'm contributing and, and doing well for the team and I can train as well as I've always trained, then I'll, then I'll try and do so.
1: And in terms of the current situation, you're just two points off the top, and, and yet by Jose Mourinho's own admission, you've not hit top gear yet. So, how much more is there to come from the team?
2: Well, I don't know. I mean, I think we've shown glimpses of, of top gear in certain games, and then other games where we, you know, we've let ourselves down. Really, and we've, and we've got beat, which is probably the story of most teams. Even you know the Man Cities and that that are up there at the same time, we would all say the same. So I think it's just up to us, really. I don't know how much more there is. I know there's lots of quality in the squad, so it's a case of uh, looking for that consistency, really, rather than in fits and starts. We need to to get the best out of what we've got consistently well and I suppose the plus point and all that is that we're we're second and third ones behind having not been at our best. So if we can do that then we're gonna have a great chance.
1: Now in terms of consistency, Frank, you are of course Chelsea's all time leading goal scorer 208. A lot of people ask how much extra work do you put into your finishing because it's a quite remarkable statistic for a midfield player, isn't it?
2: Um, well, yeah, I mean, uh, it's something I'm really proud of. I didn't think I'd get anywhere near the 200 mark really when I signed for Chelsea. So I don't know really. I mean, from a kid, my dad always pushed me into practicing finishing, uh, trying to be up and around the box a lot. And so I've always based a lot of my extra training around that. So I find that if I'm practicing sharp, finishing you know, two or three times a week and um, putting myself under pressure so not really at a slow pace, at a really sort of match pace and practising being in and around the box. More often than not, that gives me that little bit of sharpness on a match day that when the chance does fall, I think I can have a good crack at it. So um, I've done that throughout my career and that's what I'd say to any youngster is, is wanting to be a striker or midfield player around the box. You have to practise you know, the best, the best players practice it, and I've seen the best players as I was growing up, and I've tried to emulate them.
1: We had former Palace striker Mark Bright on the show a few weeks ago. He actually uh-huh. nominated you for one of our new Barclays Merit Awards in the category of Performance Milestone. He said you're a beacon for young players. Are you aware of just how much of a role model... You are to youngsters today.
2: Well, I think most of us players are, particularly when you know you represent your country um, and you're playing Champions League football. It's so big now; it's so global. And you know, I've got kids myself. You realise how easy it is for kids to look up to whoever, whether they love football or anything else in life. So, yeah, I mean, I kind of, I suppose so. I think as i get older, I'm probably better at that. I think when, when you're younger, that's not always easy. Everyone has their own lives, but. As you get older, even at Chelsea, I try and help the young kids in the academy and stuff like that. I think it's a responsibility that you really have to take on. Having been in the game a long time, you kind of see the pitfalls and the ups and downs, and if you can pass that on to the kids coming through, or any kids, then then you're doing what you should be doing, I think.
1: And, of course, these days, Frank, you're not just a footballer. You're also a children's author. Frankie's Magic Football books have uh, have been hugely successful. How much fun were they to write?
2: A, a lot of fun. I mean, they, they were difficult because it's something very different to me. Um, but it's something I've sat on for a long time. It's been, a you know, it wasn't an overnight thing to me. I've been working on those for a few years. So the fun part was actually seeing the end product come out. It was actually seeing... The book on the internet or a young kid coming up to me with the book in his hand and stuff like that and saying that they enjoyed it because that was a real achievement for me. Being a footballer is quite easy to, you know, immerse yourself in football day in, day out. That's what I've done for 19 years, as you say there. But to do something a bit different and uh, and see it come off pretty well was something that's made me really proud, actually.
1: Well, you've got a couple of young daughters as well. So what sort of feedback have you had from them?
2: A lot. I mean, they they I bounce a lot of the, the stories off them. And when there was, you know, not in the finished article, I wanted to see... What a six and an eight-year-old thought of them because it's interesting when you're older trying to sort of do that for the first time. You do have to remind yourself of the, of the feelings of when you was a kid and what excites you. And I, I, I read into my daughters and they were positive and they give about different aspects and it really helped me actually to, uh, to to get the mindset right. So I'm I'm hoping that i have end up with good stories and, and a lot of kids I'm speaking to now are enjoying them and that that's all I can ask for really.
0: Frank, it's Alan Kirby. Uh, I'm just wondering because I, uh, I played with you with your dad. Um, how many more games have you got to to pass him or how long have you got to play to pass him? Or have you um, already passed him?
2: I think, I think I might have already passed him. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't know. Because
0: I, mean, I, I think he played to about 37, didn't he?
2: He did. He went to Southend at 36 or something like that. Uh, he had like about half a season there when he was with Bobby Moore for a while. But uh, I think... I think that was at about six fifty or small seven hundred, which I think I'm I'm there if I had up my West Ham days as well. Oh, I all mean, right, obviously it would tell you how they, they never had subs <laughs> they never played Champions League every week. That's right. Well, he's right? He, no, he, he is right. He had, a, he had a long long career. I think even oh, yeah. when he packed up, he was one of the record holders at West Ham. So yeah, he had
1: a good one. it's been a phenomenal family achievement. And just looking ahead to the second half of the season, everybody, Frank's talking about you know how exciting the Barclays Premier League is at the moment with a lot of teams still in the mix. Do, do you sense that we are? heading towards one of the most exciting showdowns for years?
2: I think so. I think I think there's been a level out at the top where clubs have spent money and there. You're seeing a few clubs challenging. You know, Liverpool are still up there when people say they're going to fall away. Arsenal, what we all know. I still think Man City are looking, as a squad, very, very strong. But there's that, and I, and I think there's the overall status of the Premier League where the teams that are really making it hard for you. It's the, it's so cliché, but every week we go away now, we look at the pictures and we know how hard it is going to be, whether you're playing Palace at home or whoever. Um, so it's really levelled and it out, and it does make for an exciting competition. So I think, I think we should all be happy with that and enjoy what's going to be a great second after the season, I think.
1: Absolutely, and the possibility of a fourth title for you. And with Jose back at the helm, of course, you do have a, a proven winner to lead you on.
2: I think we do, and I think going back to that not playing great and getting results uh, lately at times, that's something we've certainly lacked, and I think the manager puts a big input into that. He's, he's got such desire to win and win and win. He knows what he takes, and I think that's rubbed off on the team a bit. So I think with, 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 all, with all that and in the, uh, all the ingredients there, I hope that if we can find our performance and up it a little bit, then we can make the right push.
1: Frank, thank you so much for joining us. Good luck with Lampard. all the Christmas fixtures and, and good Frank, luck with the, the Christmas book sales as well.
2: Thank you very much,
1: Alan. Um, when you want an example for young kids, then then Frank Lampard is the very obvious one, isn't he?
0: Well, absolutely. And uh, you know, he'd be the first to admit that that uh, he's got the most out of his his talent, and he's worked as hard as he can. Because when he was when he started off at West Ham. He was under a little bit of pressure because of his dad, uh, because of Harry Renat being his uncle and and also the manager. And it took a long while for him to to really get established there. And uh, he was battling, not just trying to get into the first team, but battling against all other things outside. And he was under a bit of pressure. But uh, as I said, I don't think anybody who knows Frank Lampard... I always call him Young Frank because I I know his dad quite well. (laughs) But uh, anyone that knows Young Frank knows that he works and works and works. works too hard at training and uh, he gives everything so that he can perform on a Saturday. Can you work
1: too hard? at training
0: you can Uh, I think sometimes you have to stop certain players because hopefully you want something left for the weekend or in the future you know you don't want them to succumb to injuries but uh, Frank Knows his body, and I think he he needs to work and push himself every day. Well, his Christmas um, looks like this: that the game
1: at Arsenal, of course, that we've uh, mentioned, then home matches for Chelsea against Swansea and Liverpool, and a trip to Southampton at the start of next year. As for Palace, well, another impressive performance under the stewardship of Tony Pudis who was proud of his players' efforts, particularly those of his Moroccan forward, who has now scored three goals in his last three Barclays Premier League games.
3: Well, Shamak has, has been fantastic, so you know, getting balls into him, he actually. Steadies us down and gives us time to get people up the pitch. And, you know, when Balassi come on and punch in, they've got real pace and power. And Cameron Jerome has been, again, smashing today. We just needed that break the other end. But I'm a great believer in, in good defending and people who defend properly. And you have a look at John Terry and, and Ivanovic, the way they defend that area, it's absolutely fantastic.
1: Palace currently in 18th place, just one point behind West Ham. And uh, interesting to actually see Shamak come to the fore at such an important time for the club.
0: And it's interesting what Tony's done with him because he's, he's turned him into a number 10. He's playing just off of Cameron Jerome, and it's working for Palace. I, I was surprised when I saw him, uh, I must admit, uh, against Cardiff a couple of weeks ago. Uh, they didn't look as if they was in the bottom three. They looked as if they was a, a firmly established uh, mid-table team. They looked that confident. Mm. So... Something's happening at Palace. Uh, let's see if it can continue. Well, level
1: on points with Palace in the relegation zone are Fulham, who, despite a much-improved second-half display, went down 4-1 to an in-form Everton. Gareth Barry scored the home side's crucial third goal and admitted afterwards that the final scoreline was slightly flattering.
2: Fulham made it really tough today. It was tough also, the conditions. It was quite windy out there. and you know We couldn't play the normal passing game and a lot of passes went astray. But you, know, you can't play fantastic football every week and uh, you know to score four goals... And and you're not played well is a good sign. On the back of two performances away from home, we've, you know, we were delighted to, to be at home today and, and get their home fans behind us. We've got a great record here, so you know, we're just hopeful we can keep it going.
1: We talked about winning when you're not at your best, what a good habit it is to have, and, and it appears that Everton have that as well.
0: Yeah, and, and I think when they are at their best, which they were against Arsenal recently, I think everyone took notice of them uh, after that game because that was a fabulous performance at, at uh, the Emirates. They actually took the game to Arsenal and outpassed Arsenal, which is, uh, not many teams can do that. So Martinez has gotten playing with fuller confidence. No disrespect to, to the Wigan players, but he's introduced his style of football with better players at his disposal, uh, and it's working.
1: Well, we mentioned John Flanagan, um, hashtag your football, a young player who's come into the Liverpool side and, and done so well. Leon Osman made his 300th Barclays Premier League appearance for Everton, scored the first goal as well, another fantastic example for the youngsters.
0: An absolute team player. Leon Osman. Everton have had a great record of bringing youngsters through, as we know. And um, you know, when you do produce homegrown talent, they have an affinity with the fans. And I'm sure the Evertonians you know, love Leon Osman because he's come through the ranks and he's one of them.
1: Just one defeat all season and Everton still unbeaten at Goodison Park in 2013. You have to go back to 1962 for the last time Everton went through an entire calendar year without losing. Sunderland and Southampton, their remaining home games, away to Swansea and Stoke also over the Christmas period. But the one disappointment for them, the injury to Delafeo at the weekend against Fulham, he's going to be out for four or five weeks. But um, looking at those fixtures, they've got a chance to go into the new year in a really good position, haven't
0: they? Absolutely, and, and once again, I think, unnoticed, Martinez has got a squad there, because De coming Feo come into, uh, into the first team a couple of weeks ago, scoring a couple of goals and doing fantastically well. But they've got other players that can come and take his place now, and that's the difference with Everton at the moment. I think by the time we get into the new year, I think Everton are going to be in a good place. Yeah, well, Oviedo's
1: proved to be a fantastic replacement for Baines, hasn't he? Um, as for Fulham, really, Moulinstein's getting to grips with the management reins there. By all accounts, a much better second-half display, despite the fact that they lost the match 4-1, so so how do you see their season panning out? I actually saw
0: his first game against Spurs at uh, Craven Cottage and I was impressed. You could sell that what he wanted from the players, I was all working, trying to do it, and bringing a new man in, although he's already there, but perhaps a new man in charge, different ideas, different uh, mentality. Let's give all the clubs down the bottom a little bit of a lift. You know, you can understand why chairman do it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Good around, short-term fixing nothing else. Round right about Christmas. Yeah. Um, But uh, you can see the impact he's had because they look as if they're all together. They look as if they're all trying to do what the manager wants. And uh, as I say, their their performances in recent weeks have picked up. Well, Manchester City at home next, so quite a test
1: for them. Then Norwich and Hull away and West Ham at home uh, on New Year's Day. So it's going to be an interesting Christmas period for them. At Villa Park on Sunday, Manchester United avoided a third consecutive league defeat by comprehensively seeing off Aston Villa 3-0. They have a remarkable record at Villa Park. Hadn't lost there since 1995. Had only lost one of the last 35 between the two sides. It's it's strange how that that can happen and and continue to happen.
0: Yeah. You know, I think even the most ardent Aston Villa fan going into that game would have been concerned, especially with their performance at Fulham where they were very, very poor. And within the first twenty minutes the game could have you know, was well over really. I think Man United needed that result, they needed that performance. Tom Cleverley also on target. He found the back of the net exactly a year to the day
1: after his last league goal.
2: I played quite well today, kept the ball, kept his ticket at a high tempo. I've had a couple of average performances season, but I wanna kick on from here now and so does the team. So Hopefully this is the start of a good run. When uh, you're a midfielder, you need to score a few goals, and uh, we played a bit more of a free in there today, which gives me a bit more licence. And uh, and yeah, it was a good finish at the end, and uh, I think a year a year's worth of not scoring come out in one celebration.
1: Must have been extra sweet for him, having waited a long time for the goal, and also he'd come in for quite a lot of public criticism in the past few yeah, weeks. Yeah, well, I he?
0: think we may not have been struggling. I think um, you know one or two players have been getting a lot of criticism, and it's centred around that midfield area because I think a lot of Man United fans think there's not enough creativity in the midfield at the moment and obviously not enough goals. And you have to think back to really Paul Scholes, where they've had a real goal-scoring midfield player.
1: Yeah. Uh, and a very poignant hashtag, you are football moment. Darren Fletcher back from illness after a year as well. Both sets of supporters gave him a, a huge ovation when he, he came off the bench. And let's hope he can kick on from here again now as well.
0: It's been a long time for Darren Fletcher. And, uh, you know, before his illness, I think uh, he was always one of the first players on Alex Ferguson's team sheet. To come back from such a debilitating illness just shows everybody, not just the football world, that anybody who is struck down, there's an opportunity to come back. And uh, I think He showed that at the weekend.
1: For United over Christmas West Ham at home, away games at Hull and Norwich and then a home match against Spurs. Aston Villa get a Stoke, they've got Palace at home, Swansea at home, then an away game at Sunderland so opportunities but defensively they looked as naive as last season Alan and obviously up front Benteke hasn't scored in 10 matches And that's
0: the big problem I think I think last season they struggled defensively and their home form wasn't particularly good and they managed to survive because of the front three. Benteke Weiman and, and Le And at the moment, that's not working. Paul Lambert has been changing that side, but you just can't imagine at the moment Aston Villa keeping a clean sheet. Plenty
1: more to come on the show, including Alan Shearer's surprise visit to a lucky 10-year-old. But now it's time for our half-time tweets. <laughs> Let's start with the game of the weekend. Manchester City defender Pablo Zabaleta full of Samba praise after the win over Arsenal. To my friend Fernandinho, congratulations on a fantastic performance. Two brilliant goals. Well done, big man. Sticking with City, former goalkeeper Peter Schmeichel tweeted a picture of fan Chris Worthington, who we interviewed on this podcast a few weeks ago. This City supporter raised £3,000 by having a Man United crest tattooed on his forearm. Hashtag, you are football. Lots of responses to that tattoo. And also plenty of tweets for United's Darren Fletcher, who made his comeback at the weekend, as we just mentioned. Rio Ferdinand, quick to acknowledge his feat. Great result today at Villa Park. Welcome back, Mr. Fletcher. Well deserved, having worked so hard after being out. From Heroes Return to yet another Southampton Youngster. This was Sam Gallagher's reaction after coming on as a late sub at St James's Park. So happy to have made my prem debut against Newcastle. Thanks to everyone for the messages. Hashtag Saints. And from a Scottish team just starting out to a Spanish team who's been making waves at Goodison Park. Everton's Gerard Delafeo tweeted this great three points against Fulham 4 1. Thank you, Toffees. Remember, you can keep up to date with everything that's going on in the Barclays Premier League by following at BarclaysFooty on Twitter. Hashtag URFootball. I'm here with Alan Kerbishty as we continue our look back at the weekend's action. We'll kick off the second half of the show in South Wales where Peter Whittingham's second half header helped Cardiff to a much-needed first win in six and inflicted a fourth defeat in a row on West Brom, a run which ultimately cost manager Steve Clark his job, of course. Here's what the Scot had to say after the match before he learned of his fate. We just feel that we're trying as hard as we can to turn the corner. The start reality is that we've lost four in a row, We've, we've slipped down the table, we're looking over our shoulder. The performances are okay, but sometimes you have to separate yourself from the performances and look at the results. Well, he is now left to reflect on gardening leave. Um, Is he ultimately paying the price for being too successful last season, Alan, in in guiding them to an eighth-place finish?
0: Well, I think on one hand you you can say that because I think West Brom had a fantastic season last year, as you say, finishing eighth. But I think the expectation level, even after that finish, is... From, from the chairman and the fans is, you know, keep us in the Premier League. I think that is the be-all and end-all for, for West Brom. You know, they've yo-yoed so many times and uh, it looks as if now they're trying to establish, or they're going to establish themselves as a Premier League side. So I think because they've drifted down and they're just off the relegation places at the moment, I think Jeremy Peace has acted because he doesn't see or doesn't think it's going to turn round and... He's not been afraid to do it before, you know. He, I think a lot of us felt he was a bit harsh when he sacked Di Matteo because Roberto took him up and, and was, you know, that was okay, but he just felt it wasn't going right and he done something about it. Brought Roy Hodgson in, which was a big move, and then when Roy left, Ring Steve Platts come in and it carried on. But I think that uh, the four defeats on the spin, I think Jeremy Peace felt this wasn't going to change, and I've got to do something about it. Hull at home. Spurs and West
1: Ham away and Newcastle at home for West Brom over Christmas. As for Cardiff, crucial win, which moved them up to 15th. Four points clear of the bottom three. A little bit of unrest, though, in in South Wales as well and questions as to whether they should spend some more money in January, whether Malky Mackay will be allowed to spend some more money in January, Alan. Well,
0: as I said earlier, I am on the league manager's committee and, uh, you know, uh, we do look at certain aspects of football clubs and, you know, obviously, Malky Mackay's situation there where his head of recruitment or his sporting director suddenly left the club and uh, Malky's done a great job. They got promoted, they're on course. So all the outside stuff that's going on, he doesn't need. And I think he'd be looking forward to a good Christmas and picking up some points and uh, they'd be well on their way to staying in the Barclays Premier League.
1: Yeah, and we spoke earlier about you know how important home form is for struggling sides. You look at their Christmas fixtures, they've got away games at Liverpool and Arsenal. At home to Southampton and Sunderland, so it doesn't take a, a genius to work out where those points are likely to come from during the festive period. And
0: they've been quite strong, haven't they, at home? And, uh, you know, the fans have been fantastic, their support and the noise to their home games. So I think n- every newly promoted side looks at their home form to try and get as many points as they can to stay in the Barclays Premier League.
1: Well, just above Cardiff and West Brom in 14th are Norwich, who came from behind to draw 1 1 at home to Swansea. Thanks to a thirty-yard thunderbolt from Gary Hooper, manager Chris Houston was full of praise for his in-form striker. He's looking fitter and stronger with each game, and there's no doubt what goals mean to us. But I'm also almost as much delighted with his overall game and how he's working for the team
2: as I am his goals. Of course, most of his goals would be ones that he's reliant on the, on a service, but you've still got to produce that. And certainly for us, it was good timing.
1: Well, it was Elmander with the layoff, and Hooper's fourth in. Six games. Um, he's looking the part, isn't
2: he?
0: Yeah, uh, he had a difficult time when he first went into Norwich. I think he took an injury and was struggling for fitness. But now he's fully fit. I think he's shown why Chris Hutton spent so much money on him. And as soon as that ball popped up off his chest, you know it was Alar Suarez. You know, suddenly a volley from thirty odd yards and. It was a fantastic goal.
1: Well, he'll see if he can maintain his goal-scoring form away at Sunderland, then at home to Fulham and Manchester United and away at Crystal Palace on New Year's Day. Uh, For Swansea, well, two wins in their last nine league outings. They remain in the relative safety of 10th spot. They also top the possession and the passing accuracy charts in the league, Alan. So it's quite hard in some ways to, to actually sum up exactly how they're doing at the moment.
0: Oh, I think they're doing remarkably well. I think that the Europa League's taken its toll. He's losing players now through injury. I think he's had Mechu out, Boney's been out, and now Nathan Dyer, which was a terrible, terrible injury.
1: Yeah, yeah. Ligament damage, not actually broken the ankle, which was the yeah. initial fear. Yeah, so that's it's, something. it's
0: still going to be some time yeah. and, and another forward that he's missing. So I think Michael Laudrup. you talked about perhaps Cardiff doing a bit of business. I think they will be trying to be active in this January transfer window. But people mentioned, again, calendar year about Swansea, their home form and how many games they've won in the calendar year. But... You know, when you look at last season winning winning the League Cup and this season being in mid-table and still in Europa knockout stages, he's had a fantastic season.
1: Well, whilst Swansea are finding it a little tough after last season's heroics, Newcastle United are just the opposite. Alan side were held to a 1-1 draw at home to Southampton after Johan Goufran's opener was cancelled out by a Jay Rodriguez strike. But it means that Newcastle have lost just one in seven. They're up to sixth in the table, there's a feel-good factor in the northeast.
0: Yeah, and uh, great credit to Pard's and his side. I think that just before this great run they're having, there was a lot of pressure there at Newcastle. It wasn't going so well, but I think he's got a side there that is on par with a side that got in the Europa League. I think he's a strong squad. They're playing to their strengths now, and there's a lot of belief around the place. So uh, this run they've had, I think, uh, brilliant. Uh, I think that the result at Old Trafford, you know, not winning there for so long. So, you know, a bit disappointed that they they didn't win the home game, but, you know, the runs continued and they're still picking points up.
1: Well, there was a great surprise for one lucky member of the Toon Army last week, and you're going to love this story, Alan. The most dedicated football fans and community coaches are set to be rewarded for their support this Christmas as Barclays launches a new Twitter ticket competition. The giveaway is part of Barclays' campaign to say thank you to fans, community heroes, players and managers for their dedication, passion and commitment to making the Barclays Premier League what it is. And rather than just popping the tickets in the post, Barclays arranged for Toon legend Alan Shearer to hand them over in person to Newcastle fan Paula Jardine and her 10-year-old son Evan, who have been rewarded for their loyal support and I'm delighted to say that Paula joins us now. Welcome to the show, Paula. Hiya. So Alan Shearer comes round to (laughs) deliver your tickets. That must have been quite something.
4: It was very unbelievable. (laughs) Gobsmacking. It's hard to describe.
1: How excited was your son? I mean, not many ten-year-old boys have Alan Shearer popping in for a cuppa, do they?
4: When I answered the door, I think I screamed and then we had to take him into the kitchen and me son Evan, my daughter Alana and my husband Richard were standing there. And like I was saying to the paper, I have never saw their faces. <laughs> so I, I hope my face wasn't as bad as their
1: <laughs> Well, I'm sure it wasn't. Um, how long did Alan stay from and, and what did you chat about?
4: Um, everything, really. Um, once my son got off out of the shock, he was asking him questions about like how his style of play and my husband was asking what was his favourite goal and my daughter just stood <laughs> there <staring. laughs> and... I can't really explain. The whole morning was
0: just... Surreal. You,
1: you
4: couldn't buy it. Eh? You can't <laughs> buy stuff like this. This is, like, priceless, isn't it?
0: Paul, it's Alan Kerbside. Uh, Who took the photographs?
4: Um, I took one of Richard holding the Premier League trophy, and I took several of... Um, obviously, Alan wished me daughter and my son. And my husband. <laughs> How
0: would you keep your hands still?
4: <laughs>
0: <sighs>
4: and my phone kept, kept freezing. <laughs> and have never ever done that? And my mum was saying to us, it must be because you're nervous. And I was thinking, <laughs> like, the... Sweat on my hands trying to take a photo. <laughs> it was
1: ridiculous. How, how much does Evan look up to the Newcastle players? How much oh. do they act as, as role models for the local yeah, kids, well,
4: Paula? I mean, he loves Ben Arthur, and he absolutely adores Kabe. These people are really massive parts of their life when they're playing football ourselves. So that's why like, I keep saying to my son, when you watch the football, watch and learn off of other people. I mean, he's quite clever for 10. He plays midfield. And it's just amazing to watch him. And then I come home and watch the football. I will go out to watch it. And he just never shuts up about like, how <laughs> Kabir can do this and how this one can do that. And it's just lovely because then they get to see, like you say, their role models. Paula,
1: oh, thank, you so for, thank you so much for joining us. And, and do enjoy the game against Manchester City on January thank the 12th. You
4: very much. I'm sure I will. <laughs>
1: Paula Jardine, who along with her son was paid a visit by Alan Shearer in our new Barclays ticket giveaway, and the former Newcastle striker spoke to our reporter, Nick Moore, about that experience.
3: I mean, you're always a little bit apprehensive when you. I'm not that I've ever done anything like that before, but I've been to people's houses and did adverts and did promotions and what have you, but. Not quite surprised anyone like that, where they didn't know I was coming. And mean the reaction was, was fab, they were normal. Just yeah. a normal family who do everything that I used to do and my parents used to do. And how important are fans, like the Jardine family, to Newcastle? They love football. That's how um, passionate everyone is about football up here. It is yeah. the difference between families having a good week oh, yeah. and, uh, and a bad week. Just, she said it's in our blood, we have no choice, and that's the vast <laughs> majority It's it yeah. They <laughs> like it, or <I'm> not That's. <laughs> but most people love it, and they say that's our life. The other thing we're asking for is nominations for this Barclays Merit Award we're giving out. We've actually nominated you for your foundation, so right right, right from the very top of the game, people working in communities down to um, all the grassroots characters. Is there anyone from your time at Newcastle that you think was a real unsung hero that maybe didn't get enough credit? I think just all the backroom staff, really, because Mm. they're the ones that never get any credit, whether it's... Physios, whether it's uh, doctors, uh, whether it's sports scientists, whether it's the tea lady or the kit ladies, or the, it's all those guys that make a football club tick. Yeah, you see, the, the manager's the face of the football club, or the owners or whatever. But it's the people in the background who make it tick. The other thing you you get credit for is obviously signing for your hometown club when you could have gone anywhere <laughs> in Europe. Can you talk us through the emotions of why you chose to sign? What was going through your head when you? Had well, all because these I decisions. That, tomorrow, I was that little bit. guy this morning. Yeah, yeah. I was him. Whereas I love football, I love my. I was born and bred in Newcastle, brought up on a council estate, played football every night, played football every weekend, and went to watch Newcastle every single week. That's why I wanted to come home, and that's why I wanted to sign for. For me, it was a no-brainer. And people ask me, "Do you have any regrets?" I have none I've, I was given the same choice again I do exactly the same thing mm. I don't regret a single minute to have what I have here it's, uh, in Newcastle is unique and very special Is it difficult for you to wander around Newcastle now? I very rarely do it here in, uh, in the Metro Centre or in, uh, in town for obvious yeah. reasons but um, I'm not complaining I mean the life of being a Football, I fought with the advantages, fought with mm. the disadvantages. I never ever mind people asking for autographs. Mm. Mm. I was exactly the same with Kevin Keegan. I used to follow him wherever he was and ask for his photographs. Yeah, yeah. I don't mind people doing that to me at all. No. So, Geordie's aren't shy coming forward, are They're they? definitely not shy, yeah. no. But there's a saying, isn't there, wherever you go, if you don't ask, you don't get them.
1: <laughs> Well, that was the Barclays Premier League's all time top goal scorer, Alan Shearer, after surprising those two lucky Toon fans in our Barclays ticket giveaway. For more information, visit facebook.com forward slash Barclays football and join the conversation to thank fans and community heroes with the hashtag YouAreFootball. Uh, there was Shearer running around trying to get Kevin Keegan's autograph as a youngster. Uh, who was your first ever autograph, Alan?
0: Well, I've got to admit, Bobby Moore. Oh. Well, I, 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 Can't I was, get uh, much better than that, I, can I, you? I was on the books at uh, West Ham as uh, a youngster and uh, I got injured. So uh, Ron Greenwood, who was a the manager, then kind of allowed me to uh, have treatment at Upton Park and... One of the mornings I was in there having treatment, Bobby Moore was injured and was sitting on the other bed, so uh, I quickly got his autograph. I bet you did. Uh, Do tweet us with your first
1: autographs um, at Barclays Footy. Uh, so Newcastle denied all three points at St James's Park uh, on Saturday by Jay Rodriguez's superb finish. Uh, the Saints striker says it was a very hard-earned point.
3: Newcastle were a great side, um, and and I thought we were disappointing first half, but second half we pulled it out and maybe could have won it but yeah, to pick up pints is always good um, and uh, hopefully we can get the win next game. We've got the self-belief and the way we play I think's unbelievable and I think, um, I think we need to carry on keep working hard and um, hopefully we can uh, keep working up this table.
1: It was a fabulous counter-attacking goal, of course they made the blistering start to the season, people talking about a top four finish, uh, they're now Ninth. Last win was at the start of November, just one point in the last four. Was it inevitable that they were going to have a little bit of a blip like this?
0: Yeah, because I think, the, especially the run of fixtures they've just had recently, you know, the top sides, I think they went to Chelsea and Arsenal, played Man City. So, no, it was always going to be tough, but they're having a great season. And what I like about Southampton, uh, they're bringing youngsters through, young uh, English players as well, another one making his debut at Newcastle. So it's great for it's great for us, and it's, it's great for Southampton at the moment.
1: Next game for Southampton is at home to Spurs. Then they go to Cardiff and Everton, and a New Year's Day meeting at home to Chelsea. We'll round off uh, this week's fixtures with two nil-nil draws between West Ham and Sunderland, and Hull and Stoke. Let's look at the Upton Park stalemate first, and, and obviously your old club really. Struggling to find the back of the net this season. That's been the recurring theme. Just 13 goals and now just one point above the bottom three.
0: I think, you know, the Andy Carroll situation has been well documented, but, you know, Andy Carroll's been at the football club 18 months and he's missed most of the time. You know, it's not unusual. And, uh, you know, their defensive work has been underpinning them, really. I, I think they've kept a lot of clean sheets, but you can't carry on like that. You do need to score goals. And, I think they're desperate for that transfer window to open up West Ham and if Andy Cowell's not going to be fit, they've got to go and do something. If not, then they're going to have a long, hard season. Well, Sunderland
1: themselves have only managed 12 goals in their 16 games this season, but their manager Gus Poet feels the results will come if they keep doing what they're doing.
2: I'm just waiting for the ugly win. We don't get those ones neither. So it's, it's, it's like a, even when we play well and we deserve to win, we don't. So it's, it's a little bit tough. But uh, me, I need to stay you know, one step back. I have a look at the performance and the way we pass the ball and we perform away from home, a very, very difficult stadium and I need to be pleased.
1: Well, you can sense the frustration and and the angst in his voice, but do you see things just starting to change around a little for them? Yeah,
0: I do. And, you know, we go back to managerial changes. I think that, uh, you know, when that change was made, Gus Poyot going into Sunderland, you could see there was a lift there. You know, the performances picked up. And I think Gus is just a little bit frustrated. They're not picking up perhaps the points they deserve in some of these games because three points at a weekend against West Ham would have been massive, absolutely massive.
1: Well, they've got a massive home game against Norwich coming up, then uh, away matches at Everton and Cardiff at home to Aston Villa on New Year's Day. And for West Ham over Christmas, Manchester United away, Arsenal and West Brom at home and then Fulham away. At the KC Stadium, Hull kept their fifth clean home sheet of the season, but once again they couldn't find the net at the other end. They're in? 12th place, like West Ham and Sunderland, Alan, obviously they'd like to start scoring a few more goals, wouldn't they?
0: They would, uh, but I think Stevie Bruce, you know, he's a vast experienced manager and he'd be well pleased with where they are at the moment. Everybody wants a bit more. As a newly promoted side, they find themselves mid-table and uh, a couple of results, they, they won't be looking over their shoulder for too long, so He's had a good start, and I think that uh, that's a lot to do with his experience. Useful away point for Stoke. Continues their improved um, run. Just one defeat
1: in the last seven. Over Christmas, they've got Villa at home, Newcastle and Spurs away, and Everton at home. How satisfied do you think Mark Hughes will be with their recent
0: performance? Of course, that win against Chelsea was a huge boost. It was a huge boost, and and I think that... uh, they're in a transitional period after Tony Pulis being at Stoke for so long. He, they're trying to change things around. They need this consistency now because they have been a lot quite up and down and you know, you know in the, the Bartley's Premier League now, if you if you lose two on the spin you suddenly start looking over your shoulder. And if you win two, it can elevate you into the top half of the table. So I think they'll be fully aware of, of where they are and another vastly experienced manager.
4: Mm. Uh,
1: And just to complete the fixture list for Hull, West Brom away, uh, Manchester United at home, then Fulham at home, and then they'll look to complete a a league double at Liverpool. So, obviously, a really busy Christmas and New Year schedule for all 20 Barclays Premier League clubs. How difficult, Alan, is it to manage when you've got four games in 11 days?
0: Well, I think the players are conditioned to this Christmas period. Obviously, foreign players coming into the Barclays Premier League are not used to playing over the Christmas period, but the, you know the British players are, and the the foreign players are already here, so they understand that it's going to be a tough period, and they also understand that you know it's a big time for the fans. The fans love the Christmas period, and uh, the you know the attendances are up, and, it, and it's great. But uh, by the time you come out of this Christmas period, the league takes shape for me. I know everyone talks about the first ten games, etc., but I think once we get into the new year it starts to take real shape and I'm expecting the top to be just as tight and I'm seeing a little shift at the bottom. I I can see that being concertina as well.
1: Mm, Yeah, and presumably the bigger the squad you've got at the moment, the better. Uh, I know you've picked out just a few key matches to look out for over the next couple of weeks.
0: Yeah, I think we're all looking forward to the big one coming up, Arsenal versus Chelsea. I I think they can find themselves top of the league, Chelsea, without playing that well, you know, being that convincing. I think uh, Man City-Liverpool, is a standout game as well, and you know, Chelsea are involved in another big game on the 29th of December, they play Liverpool. But then you've got down the bottom, you know, where's the pressure? <laughs> Let me tell you, it's a lot tougher <laughs> down there. Fulham West Ham, the uh, New Year's Day, that is going to be a big, big game for, for, for both clubs. And you know, I just hope my whole team pick up the result because if they don't, I think Sam Allardyce, which we spoke about. Managers coming under pressure, falling in the bottom three. Even Sam will come under pressure then.
1: OK, well, we'll end with just a, a couple of quick festive period predictions from you. Uh, who do you think will be top by the end of the fixtures on New Year's Day?
0: I think Arsenal.
1: And as you said, the pressure's on at the bottom. So which three teams will be in the, the relegation oh. zone on the evening of January the 1st?
0: i got a feeling that uh, it could well be... Sunderland's still down there, but I think West Ham could drop in it and I think West Brom could drop in it. So, as I say, I think it's going to get really tight by the time we move into the new year.
1: Well, so much can and probably will happen over the uh, next few weeks. Why don't you tweet us your Christmas and New Year predictions at Barclays footy. Alan, thank you very much indeed uh, for your company. Have a great Christmas uh, and New Year. Hope you don't have to work too hard. Uh, Before we go, uh, have a try at this week's trivia teaser. Chelsea take on Arsenal on Monday night, of course, in what promises to be a classic London derby. But can you name the player to have scored the most Barclays Premier League goals in this fixture? And for a bonus point, how many did he score? If you think you know the answer, tweet it to at Barclays Footy or post it onto the Barclays Football Facebook page, and we will reveal the answer on the site later in the week. Now we'll be back on a slightly different day to usual, Thursday, the 2nd of January. To reflect on the busy Christmas and New Year period as a whole, there'll be plenty to talk about, so do make sure you join us then. So until Thursday, January the 2nd, from Alan Kirbishley and me, Marcus Buckland Festive greetings and a very happy new year.
0: You've been listening to the official podcast of the Barclays
1: Premier League. Brought to you by Barclays.
3: With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.
4: Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom?
1: Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time.
2: No, Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry.